Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to tell you about PicDrop, an image transfer tool I've been using every day for almost three years now. Personally, I was sick of using platforms like Dropbox, WeTransfer, and wanted something more catered to photographers. PicDrop was founded by a working photographer, so they understand what photographers need and are continually offering new tools to better organize and help deliver images to clients. With PicDrop, I can easily organize all my photos in one spot, make custom folders for each job, and also send video files. The best thing is that PicDrop is intuitive and easy to use. In my three years of using PicDrop, not once have I had to explain to a client how to access their files, which is something I was continually having to do and waste time doing with outdated platforms like Dropbox and WeTransfer. PicDrop is a product I use personally every day and can personally recommend to anyone looking for a better image transfer tool. And with today's episode, all you have to do is use promo code BANTER when you sign up and you'll get two free months of PickDrop. All you need to do is go over to PickDrop.com and enter the promo code BANTER when you sign up and you'll receive two months free. So go over, give it a try, and let me know what you think. Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne. And on today's podcast, I welcome on photographer and illustrator Dana Smith. Dana has worked with clients such as Time Magazine, Fortune, The New York Times, and Harvard University, to name a few. Dana is a photographer who's also based in the Boston area like me. I was really excited to get him on the podcast. I've been following his work for years, um, but just never had the chance to meet him in person. Um, we've just kind of always been in uh, the Boston area, and I've known of his work. Uh, really talented photographer, and over the course of the last, I think, two or three years, he, he kind of morphed into starting to do illustration work as well, and it's kind of taken off for him. So I was really excited to get him on the podcast and not only talk about his history with photography, but, but also talk to him about his new endeavor with illustration. Um, it was a great conversation, and it was, it was a pleasure getting to finally a chance to meet Dana. Um, so hope you guys enjoy, and thanks so much for listening. All right. Uh, now, welcome on uh, Dana Smith, a photographer. Did I've known you, for, not known you, but I've known of your work for so long, for like probably over two decades. This kind of <laughs> being, it, yeah. it is funny, like living in Boston area, it's like a small city, but there are a lot of photographers. I don't know about you, but there's this like, like I've known you, like I said, forever. So I'm really excited to have you on, man. I appreciate oh, you taking it's the great time. Great to be there. Yeah, man. I guess to start off, man, like how how's the summer been for you? Like talking to a lot of photographers, I think it's been kind of a weird year. I hear some photographers are working, some are not. It's just kind of been a, economy wise. But how, how have you been? I've been really busy, um, but not with photography. <laughs> I have um, I have kind of an an odd little story. I, I kind of had. After being a photographer for about 25, almost 30 years, um, I switched over and became an illustrator. Um, not necessarily on purpose, but more out of desperation. Uh, COVID, really, you know, when COVID hit, uh, you know, most of the work that I did was for universities and colleges. And, you know, I'm, I do editorial portraits. And so when when everything started to shut down, colleges were the first ones to shut down. I figured they'd be the last ones to reopen, and I photographed people. I said, that's not going to be too good for business. Uh, so I, uh, you know, I think like most of us, 
I started getting calls from the same from the same publication saying, you know, that uh, professor you photographed eight years ago for us, you know, yeah. can we license? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, which is fine, but it's like you know, we got two hundred bucks for that. Is that good for you? And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to make a living no. for this. So. No. So I thought as I looked through files, I said, well, maybe if I can take like old cake and put like new frosting on it and spice them up a little bit, like maybe I can charge more, you know, because they'd be like new. And uh, that didn't really work, but it kind of set me off on a different path because like most of us, we had nothing to do. Yeah. So I'm like, I got nothing to do all day, but sit here and try something new. And I started these photo illustration collages and... um, and it worked out pretty well. It's definitely a lot more interesting than all, all the Zoom portraits I, I was seeing people do. <laughs> which, which, you know, no hate to that, like, get creative, but it was yeah. like, it, it was tough times during those, the, the pandemic. It was and, scary. Yeah, it was scary. Because, um, like, were you even doing illustration at all before that? Or I had never even considered it once in my life. Wow. It never even, you know, most people say, like, well, you must have thought, like, somewhere. I'm like, I never thought. It was all photography. And it it was really just a desperate move to try to do something with my pictures, and uh, and I just kind of fell in love with it. But I wasn't necessarily good at it. I was just playing, and, yeah. um, and I just kept at it. But you know, I, I I I kept on thinking about the things I would tell my students over the years, like, okay, well, who's around you? Who are your resources? Who do you know? Why don't you ask the people who know? Why don't you talk to art directors and say, hey, look, if I were going to try this. What should this look like? What do you need? What what can I do? So I get a lot of good advice, and I started reaching out. And, uh, you know, I mean, they just weren't very good, but I figured, you know, I've been promoting and marketing myself all my life. So I, I know that most of the work that I send gets tossed right into the trash as soon as it hits the email. <laughs> That's not true, Dan. Not anymore, Dan. Come on. <laughs> Come on. 20, 20% gets open. I know, I know. 20%. So I figured, like, it doesn't matter. Most of it's going to hit the trash. It's like, well, what do I get to lose? And, yeah. you know, I got a couple little gigs, a couple of Boston Globe and MIT. And uh, I don't know. I just kept on going like I knew what I was doing. Yeah. And uh, And the funny thing is I started getting jobs from places that I never got. I never got anything published in the Washington Post as a photographer, but I got two illustrations for the Washington Post after six months as an illustrator. That's crazy. You know, which was great. I'm not going to complain. Yeah, is it, for you, like, do you enjoy it? Like, is it, I love it. Okay. I love it. I the, the, the thing that I realized, I think, was that as much, I always just thought, like, I had this love affair with photography, and I did. But when I started doing the illustrations, I was just as excited, and I started to realize, I said, maybe I don't, it's not so much about photography as much as I just want to be able to wake up in the morning and be able to create. Yeah. So whether that's illustration or painting or a sculpture, I think it just, I just, it didn't matter. And with the illustration, still I wake up and I, I always tell people I feel like a kid who got the new set of Crayola crayons at Christmas and, and a new pad of paper. And every morning I get up and I have no idea what I'm going to do or where it's going. Yeah. But I I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And do you, I'm do having you, a blast. Do you, do you miss like the, because the, for me, like a lot of things with photography is like uh, the human interaction, getting to meet all these people. Do you, do you miss that aspect? Obviously you still do photography, but like with illustration, it's, it's just you. There's no. It's just me alone in an office. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, it's, I do. I do. Cause I, I still get, you know, I'm still getting photography jobs, yeah. but, but I'm not marketing myself as a photographer. So I'm only getting 
you know, people who know me. And yeah, I was out last month, I was doing a shoot and I met somebody and, you know, who was, you know, just like the incredible people that we usually get to photograph, just some remarkable guy. And I thought, oh my God, I'm talking to somebody. And we're driving around in a car <laughs> looking for a spot to shoot, you know, and we're making pictures and, you know, we're in traffic. I'm in traffic with a stranger here and we're just chatting and, and I miss that. And I miss the running around and I miss just being on the road. Um, you know, so I, I still get to do some of it, but yeah, it's not that same. It's not the same thing. Yeah, that is, I was going to ask you about that is because like balancing like art and commerce, once you make like creativity your career, it's like this weird thing where like you have to market yourself and you have to almost like, I mean, photos, they really do put you in a box. Like they put you like, this person's good at this, this person's good at that. Mm -hmm. Like how, how do you kind of view that now that you're like doing illustration, the thing I was curious about, like. Are, are, like you said, like you're you're kind of doing. It sounds like more illustration. Are you worried people aren't gonna view you as a photographer anymore? Like, how do you kind of? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you know, I I can only speak for myself. You know, I, I can only focus on one thing. Yeah. Um. But but it's really hard to be good at. You know, like even photographers. I you know I used to have people is like, well, I want to do some wedding, and I like to do some landscape, and I like to do some portraits. It's like, it's too hard at that level to do all of them. You kind of have to focus on one thing. So the same thing with illustration. I, people know I'm a photographer, but I just don't have time to shoot mm -hmm. and then market and promote and get that stuff out there and then do my work. So um, I, I, you know, I promote my illustration. I have an agent in an agency and they promote me, which is wow. a whole lot easier than just doing it solo. Yeah. And, um, but the funny thing that's happened in this process is that my photography has gotten a lot better because of the illustration. How so? I think that over the last few years, um, I got, I, I'm not gonna, I, I didn't get bored with photography. I just started making boring pictures. I started, I got caught in that rut. You feel like, yeah, cause I was gonna ask you about that too, is like, I mean, you've been doing this a, l a little bit longer than me. I'm in like year 15 since I got out of college. And like, I'm even now like, do, do you ever get in the, do you ever feel like, I feel like I'm making the same picture a lot of the times. Yep. Cause you got your bag of tricks, like, you know, what works and you kind of just get like comfortable. It, it, you you kind of got gone through that process before. Oh, always. I mean, when, when people, it's funny when people will see your work and they always, they, they offer as a compliment. They always say, oh, I opened up the magazine and I saw that picture and I knew it was yours right away. Yeah. And they always mean that as a compliment. And I always kind of took it as, well, maybe that's a good sign that you should start expanding because I don't want to be a one trick pony. Yeah. But I was definitely getting caught in that rut. I was making the same picture every time over and over. And I would, I would be driving to a shoot and I'd say to myself, okay, don't do that. Do this, that, do anything. Just don't do that. Yeah. And every time I'd come home, I'd look at my work, I'd say, damn it, I did that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I was, I was just getting bored uh, with my own work. And I'm like, well, how the hell am I supposed to get people to hire me if I'm bored with my work? How am I going to get them excited about it? Yeah. And, you know, and, and people always say, well, you got to put that shit down. You know, you got to walk away from it for a year or two. And I'm like... Okay, well, this is what I do for a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't put it down and walk away for a year or two. I'll lose everything. Yeah. And, but I did that, did the illustration. And then when I started doing photography again, I got back and was like, oh my God, 
like my mind was at a whole different in a whole different place mm-hmm. and all of the work you know because everything feeds each other and all of a sudden my picture i'm looking at my picture like well what the hell oh who's this guy yeah and but it, i could see so much of what i've been doing with the illustrations starting to show up in my photographs and and that got me excited about photography again yeah, I would imagine that, like with illustration, you're kind of just sitting there. You don't, you don't gotta schedule like some subject. You don't gotta deal with any PR, PR person. You don't, don't gotta like. So you, I would imagine you, you kind of obviously you're on a deadline when you're working on the assignments still, but you, you kind of have time to maybe I don't know think more about the colors and the textures and the, do you feel like that kind of rubs off in your photos? Like you're saying, like kind of. Yeah, I, I mean, it does, but then there's a bad side to that, too, because, like, with photography, you go, you do your shoot, you come home, and that's it. It's in the bag. It's like, yeah. whatever, you have all these great ideas driving home. I should have done that. I should have asked her to do that. But what it is is what it is. With illustration, you have these things called revisions and more revisions, and so you turn in your work, and then they say, yeah, but we want you to do this, this, and, and they change. So the fact that you can change everything, it's almost never-ending. Yeah, what's that? What's that creative process when you get an assignment for illustration? Like, how different is it than getting a photo assignment? Like, the the editors give you a lot of like input on like, hey, we want this colors, or we want this whatever. Like, how does that process yeah, work? It's it's. I mean, it, it's similar to photography. I mean, some some play, some clients minor changes. It's about look. I need a block up there that I can put text in. Can you just slide this over? Can you make him bigger? Can we put this building in instead of that building? Um, and others will just drive you crazy. You know, they, they ju- it just never stops. The revisions never stop. They want everything changed and everything moved. With photography, that's it, man. It's it's over in an hour, and whatever you got, whether they like it or not, that's what they have to work with. Yeah. There's no going back and saying, can you tell them to sit in the tree? Can you have them lay on the picnic table? That's, you know, so it takes them getting used to because it can also be never-ending. And, like, as with photography, at least for me, like it, it, it kind of takes a while to kind of figure out like, what your style is, what your aesthetic, what your approach. Like, did it kind of take you a while to kind of find your voice as an illustrator? Uh, yeah, I'm still looking for it. Yeah. Um, you know, the funny thing is that I know so little about it still. And that's never, probably good. I, I think it's great. <laughs> I, cause I've had this conversation with my friend before. I think when you get into photography, it's purely for fun. And you're not even thinking about like you don't even know who Richard Avedon is or who uh, whatever these big photographers. Are. You're purely just in it for fun, and you don't ha- you're not clouded by like looking at all this crap. And I think the further along you go, like you're just like you look at other people's work. At least me that I do this, I'm like, oh, I guess I have to use these tools, like whatever cameras that everyone else is using. I got to do this, mm-hmm. and, and it's almost like come. That's exciting to me. Like you're this like still just learning about it. Yeah. It, it you know it's funny Alex, I I teach um I don't do much teaching anymore um mm-hmm. but I teach at uh I do uh Mass Art has a uh an intensive program for incoming first years like 3 weeks uh right before they start school and it's for kids right out of high school and they're just about to start um college. And so it's it's pretty you know it's it's a great program and uh we do it for 3 weeks it's like 7 8 hours a day. And on the last day, you know, the faculty, they'll, you know, will always say like, okay, let's go around the faculty and let's try to offer, you know, my nice piece of advice, something to get the kids, you know, as they start out on their journey, mm-hmm. you know. And so, so I get to me and I said, well, 
I said, you know, I said, I'm, I'm so envious of you guys. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I said, because, you know, where you are right now. And they said, well, why? why? Why are you envious of us? And I was like, because you know nothing. Yeah. And they're like, I said, I mean, you know nothing. You don't know what's in front of you. You don't know what comes after that. You've never done anything. You've never attempted anything. You know nothing. And I'm looking at their faces. And they're like, dude, is this your like pep talk here? Like, <laughs> this is supposed to get us excited? Yeah. And I said, you know nothing, which means you'll try everything. Yep. And... I can't tell you. I said, I don't know where in my career I stopped trying everything. But the more you know, the less you try. You know, you, you think there's a way to do it. Like you said, you got that toolkit. And you know for this situation, you got that light and you're going to bring in this and you're going to try that. And you just eliminate so many possibilities because yeah. you're only thinking about one thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, to know nothing, you're so desperate to find something that you try everything. And like, isn't that like, isn't that what it is to be an artist is try everything. Don't eliminate anything until you've tried it. So, yeah. And, and then when, when it becomes like a career and you're trying to monetize it or whatever, I know I made this mistake where you're like, cause you are, you're desperate. You're like, how do I make money? I got to pay my bills. So I'm like, I remember the first, like ten, first 10 years, man, I was like yeah. doing weddings, trying to do like commercial stuff. And then I'm trying to like, market to clients that my work's not even right for because i'm like this is i'm trying to go in, in boston we have new bounds converse all this and i'm like yeah. trying to get work from them but then i realized i'm like my work isn't even for them <laughs> i'm like what? these are the right clients for me this isn't the right work i should be doing mm -hmm. and like like you're saying like if you just focus it it's hard to do because you're like desperate for work and that's like the hardest thing but if you focus and are good at like one or two things then i feel like that's when your work really kind of like sticks out a little bit yeah i mean but even more ba you know because i mean clients are clients that, yeah. you know we all have to eat we all have to pay our bills mm -hmm. but i mean just like as an artist you know you get so locked in to like you said that same picture yeah and and i'm thinking like when in, when the hell did it become a thing where i just walked in and only looked for one picture yeah and then made it like uh, you know, and, and desperation and panic are really good for the artistic creative process, <laughs> you know, and because I'm always worse. It's always been the case. Anytime I walk into a place and I say, oh, man, there's so much going on here. Yeah. I know I'm in trouble. Yeah. And anytime I walk into an, an office or a conference room and there's nothing going on, I panic. But I always know that something's going to happen because I'm desperate yeah. and I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I, I think on a different level. You know, you don't get lazy. Mm -hmm. And so even that, just that reminder of stop figuring it out from beginning to end before you even take your camera out of the bag. Yeah. Start shooting. Start trying some different things. Yeah. And don't make that same damn picture over and over. Yeah, you're really good at and And another uh, local guy who's really good at this is Tony Long. Oh, yeah. It is... Uh, like some of my favorite work, like a lot of people kind of like, they're like, oh, corporate portraits, that's like whatever. But for me, like if someone who's good at that can do anything. Cause like you said, a lot of these offices, it's just like a boring location. There's like cords coming out of weird places and it's just aesthetically, but you're like so good at it. Like I'm looking at the work right now on your website. Like, like when you walk into a location like that, cause like it's easy to take a pretty picture at a great location. It, anybody can do that. But like going into an ugly office with like ugly furniture and there's this like ugly fluorescent lighting, like 
walk me through that process when you go into that. Like you said, there's a moment of panic sometimes, but like, how do how do you kind of work with that? Yeah, it's just. I I mean I I suppose I look at it when they stick you in the conference room or the off the ugly awful plain white walled office. I always look at it and say, well, look, there's no chance to make a great picture here, so everybody can just relax. We we ain't hitting a home run today, <laughs> and I think that's a big part of it, right? Because you're not going up there. I mean, think about your you know the, I think about my baseball days, right? It's like when you go up there and you're trying to knock one out, mm-hmm. you strike out. Yeah. Because you tr- you just you're not operate you know you you're you're too desperate and you're trying too hard. But when you when you know that you you know that you suck and you're just going to end up back on the bench anyway, you're like you might actually get a hit. And I think that when I'm in that desperation mode, I just kind of lock into things, whether it's a vase with some dying flowers that are in the corner of the room, or just the you know that one chair that doesn't belong in that room, but somebody left the green stool in there. And yeah, and I don't know, like I just become very acute to that stuff and, and I start building a picture around it. Yeah. And that's a good situation for me. If I walk into an artist's studios and there's airplanes hanging from the walls and there's <laughs> barber chairs and doctor's tools, I'm screwed because there's so much going on. Yeah. It's I get overwhelmed and I panic in a different way and I get lazy and I just shoot everything, but nothing's worth yeah. anything interesting. When you say Tony Long, like... I always look at him and say, how the hell? I said, I've never seen anybody take a picture of stuff on a table better than this guy. Yeah, he is. A, like, I'm like, I'll never be able to do what he can do, and, and I shouldn't because he's his own guy. But I'm like, this is so impressed by anybody. And you know, with editorial, a lot of times you have you don't have a lot of time. So you got to like, yeah, it's like, it, that. I love editorial. I, I know some people don't like it or whatever, but like, I, I, I love the challenge and this like, walking into a weird spot and trying to hopefully come out with something good you know yeah it's i i I do too and and i do miss i miss i mean i'm still doing editorial with the illustration but yeah that that game you know you walk in it's it's like a date right you have like a you you have like a one hour date yeah and you have to set the mood and the tone and you know you hope that this is going to go well but it could go horribly wrong yeah and they could throw you out and they can never want to see you again. Um, the good news is it's going to be over in an hour, but the bad news is it's going to be over in an hour. Yeah. And uh, but I always loved that intensity of of a shoot of that's it, man. We got one hour to get to know each other, to dig as deep as we can, mm-hmm. to go as far as we can go, and in an hour we're gonna say goodbye, and I'll probably never see you again. Yeah, definitely. And I love I I, I love that part. That's so addictive oh yeah i had it last week i did a thing for the wall street journal and i got to go to mit and hang out this like like physicist like some big like renowned physicist guy and just talked to him for an hour about like shooting portraits and like he's telling me about like ai and how like we're all fucked basically (laughs) and i'm like but like when when would you ever get a chance to talk to someone like this right you know know, like it's great i i I pinch myself with those and it's like even though you're only getting paid whatever like 500 bucks or whatever like it it, that's the best part for me you know you know absolutely it's dangerous talking to scientists right because they know what's coming (laughs) he said we're screwed i'm like I didn't think that's going to happen a couple of years. Like, no, man, it's happening now. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's, that's always been, like, the most exciting part is, like, I, I always say, like, there's nothing, no no words that I've uttered more in my career than, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. 
what the, you know, wherever you are, it's like, you know, you're, you're in, you're, I'm in B.B. King's dressing room. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? But you have to photograph B.B. King? I, I got to photograph B.B. King on stage. Mm -hmm. Um, my, but my, my moment with B.B. King was that I was, I was actually working for the band that opened for him, okay. Full of Blues in Rhode Island. And I got to watch from backstage and, you know, it's B.B. King. And at the end of the show, one of the guys from the band grabs me when everybody's walking out. He says, come with me quick. And he grabbed me and said, Can you, you need to make a picture of me with B. And I'm like, okay. He's like, he's in his dressing room. And, but it was like his dressing room was like where all the people were walking out. You know, like mm -hmm. there was just a door. So the guy grabbed me and he just said, here. And he threw me in the room and he said, I'll be right back. And I end up in the room and I look down the end and all there is is B.B. King sit, sitting in his boxer shorts and his jacket alone in the dressing room. Holy shit. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? And, you know, and he turns around and he's like, how you doing, young man? <laughs> and I'm like, good. Hi, Pete. How old are you? Oh, man, I was like, I was in my late 20s. Okay. But, you know, it's like, it's B.B. King. Did you make a picture? No. No, not yeah. yeah. Well, no, I mean, I made a picture with him when when Greg, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the other musician, showed up. I made that picture. But, yeah. you know, he's like sitting there. I'm like, is this is B.B. King? Holy fucking shit. Yeah, yeah. And what the hell am I doing here? You know, and, and there's so many of those moments. And a lot of them are past me because, like, those scientists, a lot of times you don't realize who they are until you're done. You're like, oh, shit, this guy did that. And then you're like, <laughs> right. he's like oh, my God. I, I saw Oppenheimer yesterday, yeah. and I remembered photographing one of the guys on the man that worked on the Manhattan Project. Oh, wow. At MIT, like a typical thing. And this was when I, you know, this would have been late 90s. He was in a wheelchair, but I'm like, you know, he was on the screen, and I'm like, I'm looking at the credits, like Philip Morrison, yeah. That's mm -hmm. like, and then when you start realizing, like, oh my God, that's Philip Morrison, and you know, you, what the hell am I doing there? Yeah, yeah. And so it's, but but I love that part, you know, because you, you know, again, you're like a little kid mm -hmm. meeting your heroes or somebody's heroes. Have you always been like comfortable, like talking to people and dealing with people? Because like as you know, as a editorial portrait photographer, you kind of get you get thrown into weird situations and sometimes like you got to really like direct the, the, the people and yeah. sometimes you don't like some people aren't comfortable talking. Like have you always just kind of had that confidence or? No, I, I think, you know, when I, when I think I gained that ability or that confidence was when I actually got to the point in photography where I felt like I knew where I was doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like this, you know, that like those first years is sort of like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just praying that it doesn't turn out too badly. Yeah. But then when you get to that point where it's like, you know what? I kind of know my shit photography wise oh, i yeah. know lighting i know that i can even on yeah. my bad day i can come up with something yeah you're always going to make something that's going to work like yeah it might right. yeah exactly something's going to even my worst is going to be still good enough to be published yeah and once i got there i realized like you know what if i'm going to meet somebody who worked on the Manhattan Project. I, I, we don't really have a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's nothing. I can't. Even the papers that I read to try to learn about, he probably wrote them. Yeah. So it's not like I can come in there and educate myself and then have a conversation. But I, I'm pretty sure I know more about photography than he does. Yeah. So I think that that directing part, it's like I, I kind of look at it as like, look, you do your job and you've done it remarkably. Yeah. Far, far better than I'll ever do in my job. But I do know photography, and I do know how to make you look pretty good. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially with those people, like those high-profile people, they understand that. Mm -hmm. 
no matter, even if you're just like a 20 something year old walking in there and look like a clown, they get it. It's like, look, man, you're making my picture. Yeah. And for all the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who are going to open up the New York Times Magazine or MIT or whatever, it's kind of like, you know, making sure that you treat your waiter well. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you're, my, my image is in your hands. And, and they're very, you know, they're professional and they're cool because they get it, you know. So, so I think that that usually puts me at ease. Um, and, you know, and, and I also like, because I, I stumble around a lot, I think that they probably take pity on me a lot of times. What do you, you know, what do you mean you stumble around a lot? It's like, well, you know, cause like when I go into a place, like I'm not, I'm not an idea guy. Yeah. I've never been an idea guy. So when like an art writer comes to you, it's like, so we want to photograph this person, you know, so what would you do? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, you, you know, like I'm not Don Draper here. I don't have like this, you know, it's like, you know, I'm picturing a man sitting in a corner with a sun. I don't have that. I'm like, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Yeah. But I'm a good, I'm not a good idea guy, but I'm a good recognizer. So when I walk into the room, I, I just start kind of looking around and asking questions and you know, like playing with things and I don't know, can you sit in that chair and look, you know, and when it happens, I recognize it. Um, but I do a lot of stumbling before that. Yeah. And a lot of times, like technically with my lights and the equipment that I use, something doesn't work and they can see me like, you know, they start thinking, did they just send in the B team here for me? Like, you know, like, I mean, is this guy the intern? Uh. Um, but I think that combination of not being afraid to stumble and make mistakes and not like i think the worst thing is to act like nothing bad is happening mm -hmm. when something bad is happening yeah because you know when someone's panicking yeah <laughs> and it, to act like it's not that just pisses people off to look like you're struggling i think that they kind of say dude we're good relax that, that's uh the one of the biggest mistakes i made early on for for many years starting out was like I always felt rushed because I didn't want to like, you know, I didn't want to inconvenience people to take too much of their time. But then you realize you're like, no, you're there to do a job and you want to do it right. And if you like are just upfront with people about like, hey, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. Like, this is how long it's going to take. And then usually people like if you show them what you're trying to do rather than this being kind of open ended, I found that it took me a long time to get that confidence to like not feel rushed. And realize, like, I'm here for a reason, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Like, you're legit. Yeah. You're not taking up, the, they're not doing you a favor. There's something in it for, you know, mm -hmm. there's something in it for them, too. Yep. And and you're right. Like, like I totally agree. Like, it, it took me so long to get that point where it's like, look, we just need to know how long I can stay. Yeah. Because if you told me I, I got to be gone in 15 minutes, that's going to be much different than if I can stay for an hour. Yeah. And, but, but at least it gives you, at least once you know that I, okay, you have 45 minutes. I know what I can do in 45 minutes and you can relax and you're not always panicking that they're going to, you know, that they're worried that they're going to throw you out. So yeah. That's a big deal is like, tell them, you know, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Here's what I want to do. Because when it's just like open-ended, people are like, are we done yet? Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing here? Like, right. it's <laughs> exactly. And yeah. most of their experience, like, I mean, not the famous people, but like regular people, most of their experience is like, newspaper stuff yeah and newspaper dudes show up and like they make a few that, pictures and they're out in 10 that minutes. that happened to me last week i was doing something for the tech review and i show up to the lab at mit and the the police like i had like my whole cart with like it wasn't even that much gear it was like two c stands my lighting kit my camera kit it wasn't like she's like wow like 
I thought it was just gonna be like some yeah, some maybe shit. <laughs> like snap, snap. Like I'm yeah. like Peter Parker. Exactly. <laughs> it's like no, no, no. Yeah. So that's their experience, and that's why even like not now, I don't even you know. It's like you do this in the email, right? Mm-hmm. Here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna show up. I need an hour to look around. I need an hour with you. Maybe an hour and a half. Yeah. If they say you only get a half hour, now I need an hour and a half up front. Yeah. You know, however little you're going to close that window, I need more time to prepare. And I'd like to go here and maybe there. And if there's a chance and, you know, they can either say no or they could just clear their afternoon yeah. you, if you're lucky. Yeah. All you got to do is ask the question. You know, it's like. Right. Here's what I need. What's the worst thing? Yeah. Like you said, they might say no. They might say yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But nobody wants to be surprised. Yeah. Exactly. Nobody wants to think you're going to be there for a half hour and then you stick around for four hours. Although I've been thrown out of a lot of really you know good people's houses oh really bobby Orr. wait what did what because you're shooting too long he's like get out of here <laughs> yeah but that's kind of good like you're saying uh because like a lot of times like you're never gonna see these people again so like you might as well like just get every last ounce out of it right so, like you know, i'm i'm excited i have these ideas and because at the end of the day your editor is going to be more hyped like i mean obviously you don't want to offend people or whatever but like it it's like you're there to get do the best job you can. Like, of course, you're not working for Bobby Orr. You're working for the publication, so. right? Yeah. Exactly. And Bobby and Bobby Orr is Bobby Orr. So when Bobby Orr says, "I think we're done," mm-hmm. and you're like, "But I have one more idea," he says, "No, I think we're done." You're like, "Thanks, Bobby." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that okay. that's happened to me before, and you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, it ends up, you know, like there's a lot of great stories. Like, you know, it's like I could just make a list of the great, but the people who have thrown me out of their house. You know, it's, like, it's a pretty, a pretty prestigious list. Yeah, yeah. People who have asked me to leave. That's pretty good. So <laughs> you should put that on your website, like in your bio. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've been asked to leave by Bobby Orr, Anthony Quinn, uh, Norman Mailer threw me out of his house. Well, he already was notorious, notoriously like pretty hard to photograph. I've heard over the years, but yeah. It's something. How do you deal with those people that are like, maybe they're they just don't like having their picture taken. They might be in a bad mood that day that you have to photograph them. Like, how do you kind of deal with those situations? For some reason, I, I get along well with those people. I remember years ago I had um, it was like Boston Magazine, and um, and I had uh, the the art director would always call me. He's like, you know, I have this assignment for you. And it was funny because he was like, you know, it's like I, I, I had somebody else in mind, but they're going to Joshua Tree to do like a fashion shoot. So I want you to photograph this, you know, kind of like rich millionaire prick in in <laughs> Newport. And I'm like, well, thanks, man. Like, thanks for, thanks for telling me that I can't go to Joshua Tree. I said, why do you always give me the pricks? He says, because you're good with the pricks. <laughs> and, you know, I, I kind of was like offended. I'm like, you know, it's true. I do. I like those people. I, I like the combativeness. And again, when you walk in and you know that this person is only being photographed because it's their publisher or whoever told them they have to, it can only go up from there. It's like we've already de- we've already determined that this is going to be miserable. Yeah. So let's see what we can do. But I like fo- I like the back and forth because they do want to be photographed, but they want you to earn it. Yeah, it happened to me last summer. Uh, I photographed Larry Summers, who's kind of like yeah. yeah. And it's hard to see a little bit of a curmudgeon, like, and I going into that, I was kind of nervous, like, talking to some other people, and I was just like, but then if you're this, like, a straight up with people, and you're not trying to bullshit them, or, like, kiss their ass too much, like, and you're just kind of, like, indifferent, like, hey, I'm just trying to, I don't, I'm just trying to get my job done here, like, I, I, I think they kind of respect that, you know? They do, I mean, these people have worked their ass off yeah. 
all their lives. They get it. They understand what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And but but I agree with you totally. Like it's that honesty. Yeah. You know, look, I I saw you know it's like I I saw a picture of you. I looked at pictures of you, and they're almost always in this foyer. They're almost always in this office. Can we do something that's not in this office? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, got a lot of, I don't have a lot of time here. It's like, I just want to get this shit over with. It's like, <laughs> I know, but I went downstairs and there's like that great thing. There's a stone thing and there's this yeah. trees area. Yeah. And I just, I don't know if I can make a great picture of you here in the office, but I can really make a great picture of you downstairs by those trees. Yeah. And I mean, they're always in the end. They might grumble, but they say, you know, like, all right, let's do this because who doesn't want to look good yeah. for wherever they're going to be published? And, and they also, if you have your spot picked out and you have, you know, thoughts on it, then they realize that, you know, that you do have a plan yeah. and you're not wasting their time. What's your, uh, what's your, uh, opinion on like, do you like showing the subject photos you're taking as you go or do you try not to? I Cause they, cause they can go like both ways. Like it, it yeah, I, I, I try not to. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard now with digital, like Polaroid, Polaroid, what I always used to have a thing that I would do, especially when you deal with like PR people, is like, what I would do the Polaroid. You know, you start yep. to set up your lights. I'm going to do five or six Polaroids. So, um, you know, the first one I would always get set up and I'd have them sit and I'd have them look in the camera and just smile, smile, give me your nicest smile. Yeah. And I'd pull that Polaroid, I'd stick it in my pocket. Yeah. And then I would start working out the lights and, you know, I would never ask them to do anything, you know, that I had in mind until I was ready to shoot film. And if they ever came over and said, can, can I see the pictures you're doing? I'd always pull out that first one of them smiling at the camera. That's so smart because you're like, oh, yeah, he's happy. Oh, he's good. He, he, he's yeah. representing the company or whatever. <laughs> good. Like, I know what he's doing. No, no, he's good. And then you can get to work, you know. And But digital is so much harder because they keep on asking. Yeah. Because that's just the nature. And if you're shoot, people are shooting tethered, they're seeing every goddamn picture that right. comes in the, right. in the thing. Right, can't hide the screen because then it looks like you're shading. Which, uh, which commercial you have to do, it's different, but like editorial, yeah, that is that is hilarious. I, I try to hide it, <laughs> and even, but I still do the same thing. Even if they say, can I see some of those, yeah. I'll always start, you know, like I'll be, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> spinning the wheel looking for the one of them smiling. It's like, yeah, see, you look great. I, I mean, you're great. That's great. You know, and, yeah. and uh, you know, it's tough. And But the thing is, too, that, like, if they do want to see a lot, like, like I always find, like, when you're photographing somebody, um, they know the story. Mm -hmm. They know why you're photographing them. And if they've done something shady, if they're a little, you know, there's something going on with it, they know what it is. Yeah. And they just kind of want to see how you're treating the situation. I had a photograph years ago. He was, the, he was called the Slumlord of Boston. Mm-hmm. And it was like a total sandbag job. Like this was going to be the story about how despicable this guy is. And he agreed to be photographed. And, well, that's what it was. Like. When they said that to me, I'm thinking like, yeah, I read the story. is like, but he's known for that, you know? And I thought like, well, that's great. I said, so you want me to go in there and make him look like an evil bastard? Yeah. And like, yeah, we do. But don't tell him that. It's like, yeah. So you want me to go in and lie to him? So it's like, so the man invites me into his house and introduces me to his family feeds me yeah and treats me nicely and now i'm in there it's like and i'm going to try to make him part, look like the slumlord yes yeah. but the thing is he knows mm -hmm. so it's like he knows i'm not going to make it sit him down and smile and this, this isn't like a, a a tea party conversation you know where we're going to chat and have biscuits but i think he just wants to see you know he's going to draw the line yeah you know can i have you you know like back there in that alleyway standing in the door it's like yeah i'm not doing that yeah and 
you know, I think if you treat them respectfully and you don't hide behind it, they know who they are and they'll give you what they want. And they, you know, my favorite story was, but I had to photograph. For some reason, I ended up being the guy that would always photograph Buddy Cianci. Yeah, I told you, I still want him. It's that. so good. I and for, and for like anybody listening who's not from New England, like tell, tell them who Buddy Cianci is. Yeah, Buddy Cianci was a former mayor of Providence twice. Uh, but he also spent a good deal of time in jail for mob ties. And so he was, he was a very kind of, but he was a interesting character, um, shady, but very charismatic. Like Tony Soprano type. Yeah. Of. Tony Soprano. Right. Right. So for some reason I ended up photographing him over the years for like Rhode Island monthly. Yeah. And one time that I, I ended up when he had spent, I don't know, a few years in jail. I was the first person to photograph him when he came out of jail. Was that the one where he's like sitting at that restaurant? Like yeah, the sitting. At the, yeah, at his at the cantina on Federal Hill. Yeah. So you know they had the whole thing set up, and and this was also going to be the first time that he was photographed without his hairpiece. Okay. Because he, you know, the his mugshot became sort of you know famous because he always had a really uh, healthy hairpiece, mm-hmm. and everybody knew it, but he didn't care. But then he got photographed, so he's like, okay, look, I'm going to just do it bald. So this was a big deal. So the the magazine editors, you know, they said, look, you know, he just got jail, so we want this to be kind of, you know, we want it to look not too good, a little bad, like a little shady, a little <laughs> spooky, a little evil. I'm like, yeah, all right, I know what you want. <laughs> so we get in there, and his people are there, and I have my assistant, the art director's there, and we're doing all these pictures. And he remembered me from the last time I had photographed him. So he's smiling, and I'm just doing all the smiling pictures. And but I really knew what I had to do, which was make that sort of half good, half bad. And uh, so I'm like, okay, so okay, okay. And I called him Mr. Mayor, even though it wasn't the mayor, because it just seemed very respectful. Mr. Mayor, can you, can you, uh, uh, let's try one without a smile, like just looking. And he just kept on smiling. I'm like, no, maybe more. Um, uh, pensive, mm-hmm. something more pensive, a little more thoughtful. Yeah. And and I keep on doing this, but he keeps on smiling at me. And then finally, as all these people are around, he comes up to me, right up to me, like nose to nose, and he leans over and he like whispers in my ear, like this is happening right in the middle of everybody. He said, Dana, there is no fucking way you're making a picture of me today where I'm not smiling. So cut the bullshit and let's get this shit done. Damn. And he walked away and I'm thinking, holy shit, I'm going to sleep with the fishes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing was, like he was like, look, dude, I know what you're doing. Yeah. He's very media savvy. I know what your job is. Yeah. But I ain't doing it because I have a job too. Yeah. And I'm going to be on the, I'm going to start a radio program pretty soon. It's like, so cut the shit and let's not waste time. Yeah. But it was like a gift because when I finally realized that he wasn't going to do what I wanted him to do, I sat him at the table and he had this kind of grin on his face and I looked around the room and I thought, you know, this is so much better than that shady thing because he, look at him. It's so he's good. He's the shit and he knows it. Yeah. And he's in his surrounding and there's this big mural on the back wall and he's sitting at the table like the Godfather. The, yeah, that's what the location and, is so good. Yeah. Like, I'll, put, I'll, try to put, I'll link it if you want to go check out the picture. But I, that was amazing. It was, yeah. And, and when I looked at it, I'm like, thank you, Mr. Mayor. That was a gift because anything I was going to do with that whole split lighting thing was just going to look, you know, yeah. canned. Yeah, I've always liked your lighting because it's very, I think you like using like snoots and grids and stuff a lot, a little bit. It's very, uh, very yeah. like spotty, like mood. Have you always just kind of, has that been your approach? It's, yeah. It, it's, um, because I started out as a photojournalist, I always had a lot of speed lights. Yeah. 
because I would always break them, you'd repair them, but in the meantime, you'd get a new one. So I, I started using those. Um, yeah, I do use a lot of snoots and a lot of homemade stuff, things that um, when I would show my students, when I would do like a lighting uh, demonstration, they'd look and they'd say, dude, tell me this isn't how you show up for your like magazine assignments. I'm like, of course. Yeah. And I mean, I have like rolled up pieces of paper. Yeah. I take magazine covers and cut a slit in them yeah. and tape them. I got gaffer's tape everywhere. It, it's it's just, it's a mess. And they're so embarrassed, right? So they send me these links of all these companies who make magnetic, you know, attachments and everything. And I laugh and I'm like, look, I said, I didn't want this. I said, first of all, it costs a lot of money. Yeah. And I said, but the thing is, you know, after they finished making fun of me for all that I, you know, for the mess I make, I said, you know what happens when I walk in? with this and he's like they laugh at you i'm like yeah and when they finish laughing i said you know what happens i said these people have been so nervous because they've been expecting joe hollywood yeah they expect big lights and umbrellas and octa boxes and fans and they expect that when i walk in and they see what i got they think they definitely sent in the b team <laughs> and everybody relaxes I can't hurt them. Look at this guy. Yeah, that yeah, all that gear stuff can uh, work against you sometimes because it can make people like I had a buddy. He's in D.C. and he he does like corporate headshots, and he showed up to like some big job and he's like l brought everything, brought the every stand. He thought and he thought he was like trying to impress this big company to keep them as a client. And the CEO came out. And he's like, "You better break this fucking shit down right now," because he didn't like the whole show. Like he wanted it to be very like. Yeah, it, it, it scares the shit out of yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're shooting celebrities, it's no big deal. They're used to it. But, like, for the people that I photograph 95% of the time, mm -hmm. they just get frightened and they're already scared enough. Yeah. And when they see the homemade stuff, they're like, oh my God. You don't you don't need a lot of stuff to make a good picture. You don't really need it. Like, shit, you can make a good picture out of it with a shoebox. <laughs> like, a don't use that. I use shoeboxes. You know, like, cut a poke a hole in it and just shoot it through and it's. And, and it's it's funny because, again, it's when you consider what you need to do, what your job is, what is your job, to pe so that people relax and that you can do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And if they're too busy looking around and being afraid of the lights, it's not going to happen. So put them at ease. I can't possibly do you any damage with these ripped up pieces of paper. Yeah. And they relax and you have a conversation and you make pictures and it's more like, who, who who cares how you got to the end result of the picture? Like, is the picture good at the end of the day? Like, exactly. use whatever tool you want. Uh, but it's like, yeah, because I've definitely found those chats where I'm like, oh, do I, I guess everyone's using this gear now. So I guess I got, do, do I got to buy this camera now? I guess that's like where we're at. They're in the business. <laughs> it's like weird, man. Like, and I can't keep up. I know. I've like, never been a gear guy. No, I mean, I hate buying. I decided to buy new lights because finally my, like, 25-year-old travel, like, there's, like, they're fucking holes in them and shit. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I gotta buy some new fucking <laughs> Right, when you have to. And I used to have, like, my assistant. My assistant was always buy my equipment. I would just say, like, tell me what I need. Yeah. And they would go do all the research. they say, here, here's what it was. And then I would just buy what they told me. Yeah. And then I would just keep it for, like, 10 years. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I still, even now, I go out, it's like, I, and I still shoot with, like, a, a, a Canon uh, Mark II. Okay. It's a good camera. You know, it's like. But I mean, it's like, I'm thinking, you know, people are like, dude, are you going to try this? Like, I don't, you know, I don't want to learn another camera because. We, we've reached a point in technology where it's like, basically every camera is good now. Like legit, like the new iPhone 14 Pro camera on that, it's insane. 
Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> it, yeah, it, you know it's wasted on me because I'm like I'm never going to figure out how to use it. Yeah. So I just you know I I I just use because I always thought too like with gear like the more time I spend you know we only have fifteen twenty a half hour an hour on a shoot yeah the more time we spend screwing around with lights and tests the less time we have to pay attention to our subject. Especially, at least for me, like when it's those little editorial assignments where I'm only getting paid like 500 bucks or whatever it is, like I'm not really going with an assistant, it's just me. So I'm lugging the gear, I'm doing exactly. it. So it's like, yeah, every little thing, it does slow you down. So it's like, yeah, you have to like think about all that stuff. That's, uh, are you still using the speed lights at all? Always. That's awesome. Always, I, I mean, I have, I, I bought some Dyna lights. I used to, you know, I'd be, right before they like, shut down went bankrupt yeah you know because you're going to have stuff where you need to set up a way you know like a seamless and you know you need some you know you need that yeah but 90 percent of what i shoot it's all speed lights they're covered with gaffers tape like they don't even look like speed lights anymore <laughs> they look like these blobs of yeah. tape but i can see the buttons I, and i love speed lights because they just have like this like sharpness to them it's just like the light that comes out of it it's just like very kind of i don't know it's, it's just like a edgy kind of look or whatever yeah. yeah i mean you can control i can't yeah. control the big lights i yeah. mean like i have all the respect for the dudes who use those big lights and and when i when they thread the needle i'm like how do you do that with those big lights mm -hmm. i i just need that tiny little light that i've always had and yeah edgy is a good word because yeah. people you know it, it's code for you know it can be code for sloppy in my case you know like i'm just nah. shadows flying over there it's like oh your work is so edgy it's like well actually i couldn't figure out how to kill that shadow but edgy sounds good <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's sloppy, but I, you know, definitely, go with edgy. Definitely not sloppy. Um, but I guess to go back, man, like, like where did you grow up, and like, how did you initially get into photography? <laughs> I, 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 just like illustration, I had no intention of being a photographer ever until it was forced upon me. Oh, how's that? I was, I went, I went to UMass. I was at UMass Dartmouth as a design major, mm -hmm. and you know, like you know, you, you had that core curriculum in the second year. You know, photography was mandatory, and I was like typical kid, like you know, kid like taking algebra in high school. Why am I ever going to use photography? I don't want photography. I can't. You know, I'm in another class, and I took photography, and I I liked it, but I wasn't good at it, and I wasn't focused. I, I, when I went to UMass Dartmouth, I played soccer. It's about the only thing I did. Yeah. So I wasn't serious about school, and photography was just something that was kind of cool. Like everybody, yeah, you put the, oh, I see the thing develop, and I see at the dark room, I loved it, but I wasn't good. I yeah. didn't get good grades. My teachers were certainly not saying anything wonderful about me. And uh, and at the end of sophomore year, I, I was about to flunk out of art school, <laughs> and, uh, and I was with friends, and um, we were, uh, one night, we were drunk, we were at a pool hall, and I had seen an ad for New England School of Photography in the back of a photo magazine. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, what if I went to like photography school? And my drunk friend from across the pool table looked at me with like one eye and said, I can't see you as a photographer. <laughs> and that set me off on my photography uh, journey. I, I, I left, I just, I just left UMass. Wow. I, I signed up at Nisab. And I just started doing it, and it was... So, uh, so yeah, damn, so you went to school there and then ended up... Uh, I ended up, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I went to school there, and, and again, I was I was, I was, was as focused as I had ever been as a student. Okay. I mean, this was like definitely something, 
that I loved doing and I was focused. I worked my ass off. I was there all the time, but I don't think that in, on anybody's evaluations, I was the guy that they'd say, watch this guy. He's going to become, yeah. he's going to make a living at this. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just left and, and it just, you know, I think, I think the, the gods up above took pity on me and said, look, he's not going to figure this out for himself. So let's set him on this path. Mm. And it was just the right thing for me. It was just that, um, you know, the magic, that instant gratification that, and I really loved being on the street. I wanted to be a photojournalist. Mm -hmm. I loved covering events. I loved sneaking into events. I loved meeting people that I had no business meeting. And, uh, you know, and I did that, and I started working for newspaper, Milford Daily News. That's amazing, right down yeah. the street, a couple right of days. <laughs> right down the street. Um, four months, uh, I was done. Nobody gave me any kind of party. They were happy to see me go. I was... Uh, Why, I, it just didn't work out well or something? Yeah, it didn't work out. Well, you know what's funny? Like, I got out of school with with all that cockiness of, of a 22-year-old, and Milford Daily News was like the local paper. And I looked at the pictures, and they would always run a happy kid on the cover or yeah, yeah. dog in sunglasses or something. And I said, I'm going to show these people what photojournalism is. And I got in there, and, you know, I would go photograph, like, the Memorial Day parade, and I'd shoot the dude at the end of the street smoking a cigarette on his steps. Yeah. And I'd photograph the couple making out by the Grange Hall, and I'd come back, and they'd be like, where's the veterans? Where's the clowns? Where's the people? I'm like, you know, I was like, well, no, I mean, you know, but look at these. Yeah. And... You know, and I realized, like, at the time, I thought, like, they just don't understand. Like, and I realized, like, what an ass. You're like, you know, what readers ass. are like old ladies. Around you, it's like, what, what an ass. Like, you know, I really like to have that kind of cockiness. That, like, you know, with all the experience of zero mm -hmm. and coming in and, like, thinking that, you know, that this was just going to be a portfolio for me, mm. a daily portfolio for me. And, you know, and it didn't work out. And. They weren't happy to see me, you know. I, I I went to another newspaper, but they were they were glad, and I didn't belong there, you know. I totally, uh, you know, I didn't respect any of it, mm -hmm. and uh, and I went to work for the Standard Times in New Bedford. Um, has a different story because they had a staff and there was an established paper, and uh, but the good thing about it was I got in there, and um, there were a lot of veterans that were working there, and in New Bedford at the time, there's a lot of bad shit happening. There were highway murders. Damn. There was like the, the Catholic church, the pedophile thing busted in New Bedford. So even though I had no experience, I found myself sitting on the courthouse steps with the national shooters. Yeah. So, you know, that's like a great place to be. It's unfortunate for the reason it was, but, um, and yeah, I was going to be a newspaper photographer. You know, I was just going to wait my turn, and I was a stringer. I was working seven days a week. Wow. And when somebody retired, I would slide into that position, and I would work for the Standard Times for the next 30 years, and that would be my job. But, um, but somewhere in there, I started, like, I realized it wasn't my thing. I loved doing it. I loved the excitement, but I didn't, I wanted to do documentary work. Mm -hmm. So I started, like, you know. I went to like Petronelli's gym in Brockton, Marvin Hagler's old gym, and I would just like hang around there and shoot. There's a place in Providence called Sunrise House, and it was during the AIDS, kind of like the the peak of the AIDS pandemic, and it was a place for people like homeless people to go and die with some dignity. And I got in there, and I spent a lot of time with those people, and uh, and I built a portfolio on documentary projects and some portraiture. 
And uh, so that's kind of when you started doing more portraits. Yeah, because I realized with all these documentary projects that my best work was always the portraits. Mm. You know, I had all this other stuff, and I, you know, I did everything in action and close, and you know, all the stuff you're supposed to do when you work documentary. But all I ended up, my best work was a bunch of portraits. And I said, you know, if I could figure out a way to do this in an hour, what's already taken me six months to do, maybe I could make a living at this. And uh, and I I went to New York um, years. I took I the, one of my favorite people ever in you know was John Lowengard. And he was one of the life photographers. He photographed, you know, George O'Keefe and the Beatles yeah. uh, with Eisenstadt and all those guys. And I, I took his workshop once. He looked at my portfolio and he said, you know, you should go, uh, you should call uh, Howard Chapnick at Blackstar. And I said, really? I said, you think I'm good enough for Blackstar? He goes, no. He says, but Howard Chapnick will give you some good advice. And Black Blackstar was like an agency, right? Blackstar was an agency. I mean, Blackstar is a legendary agency. Mm -hmm. Um, was it, was it like documentary like work and stuff like that? Yeah, it was documentary work. I mean, Black Star was was kind of like, yeah, it was like when I was a kid, I, you know, I was in school, I was like, I'm gonna work for Black Star someday, and uh, and uh, unfortunately, Howard Chapnick, uh, when I reached him on the phone, he said, you know, that's great, John told you to call. I said, but I just announced my retirement yesterday. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> something where I got, but I finally got into Black Star. They they decided to uh, represent me. And that was like crazy because I would go to New York, you know, to do my rounds and meet with people. And I go to the office and like there'd be like Peter Turnley, Christopher Morris was still with Black Star, like the, Joe Rodriguez. And they'd be like going through their stacks of film. Wow. And I'd be like making phone calls right next to them, you know, like call. I was like, holy shit. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was great. You know, it was like that was my in. So they would kind of help you like find assignments and things like that. Yeah, it was like they would, you know, they they were like the middle person, you know, like because, uh, you know, for for all the magazines in New York, they had all the relationships. They'd say, go talk to Evan at Fortune, go talk to this person at Forbes, go talk to Adam at Sports Illustrated, and because I was with Black Star, they let me in. Yeah, they would look at it, so all the credibility of Black Star kind of trickled down on me, and that was my start and. And that was like the, I think that turned out to be the end of the golden age of like magazine photography. Yeah. Like there were jobs, <laughs> it's like, a, there were jobs for everybody. It was a great time. <laughs> that's only, because oh, pre-internet really, like what, what yeah. so that was the only place people could advertise. So that's why there's so many right. different magazines. Cause and was, they were thick. Yeah. And they were big and they were glossy. Yeah. And everybody has eye. Like on Friday afternoon, I would be at the lab, you know, waiting for my film. Yeah. Real old film, chromes. And like my at 4 o'clock on a Friday, my phone would light up. And I would get like a job from Fortune. Cool, for next week. And then the phone would ring and I'd get a job for Sports Illustrated. Yeah. And then I'd get one for like Family Circle. All in like that, like the, after the editorial meetings would get out. Because it was so, like, they just... So with jobs. So were you living in New York, or are you always just based no, here in Boston? I was living. I was living. I was. I wasn't even living in Boston at the time. I was living um, towards you know, kind of like south. Okay. Not even in the city. Yeah. And uh, but you know, because I was always traveling, I was always driving around, and you know, and in those days, you know, you got calls to say, hey, you want to go to South Beach? You want to go to the Midwest? We got to shoot for you in Texas, Minnesota, and Missouri, and yeah. you know, those were great days. Yeah. You know, they had budgets, and then like. I think it was like 2001, and then, yeah, right off the cliff. That was the end of it. Did you get into? Because I, I always love talking to photographers. Like back in the day, it was like annual reports were like a big thing. 
Did it, did it ever get into AOL? I never got into it. Yeah. I never, I, I never, I never figured out that code. Yeah. I always knew that it was something that was there, and they always said like, "Oh, yeah, that's where the money is." Yeah. But I never figured out the code. I never knew where. Yeah, the never. Was. I was just always like talking to so many photographers back in the day. I knew that was a thing. Uh, what, what was like the Boston photo scene back then? Like when you were starting, like what was the lab? What was like the lab you were going to? The uh, Spectrum. Yeah. I went to Spectrum, and in Providence there was A Bar. Yeah. And uh, you know, and and it was like SBI, and and um, you know, so but like we were just talking about, it's like back in the day, like at the lab, like there were just photographers hanging around waiting for film. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing better. You're on the light table, and then some guy throws their chromes down, and you look at it, it's like, oh my god, that's John Goodman. Oh, oh yeah, that's John. Hughes. I love I love John Goodman's boxing book. That's that's he was one of my that was one of my uh, when I spend my time at Petronelli's that was in the back of my car. Yeah, and every time I go in that gym, I just go through it, flip through it, and be like, man, if I could come up with something even close to this. I I remember I remember seeing that book like when I was in I think I was in the college or something, and it, it, it kind of like I love the work because it was it, it I learned that you, you your photos don't have to be sharp. Like, cause right. a lot of those box, they were like blurry and this. Yeah. So I was like, man, this is just like kind of like spark. I was like, this is this is cooler than any of like in focus picture. You know what I mean? Like it was just, uh, yeah. His work was great. It was funny. Like I think it was I think it was Cartier Bresson who one of my favorite quotes where they were talking about sharpness, yeah. and he just kind of laughed and he said he said something like he says sharpness is such an American thing. It's so overrated, and it was like so funny because it was it's true. It's like we get, you know, it was like the sharpness, and he would, you know, in pictures like the blur was what made them beautiful, and yeah. So I, um, yeah, John Goodman. So that you know, it was, and we would meet over light tables, and you'd see what everybody, you know. Again, now we just look at each other's websites and Instagram, but yeah. at that time, that's how you saw it. And you, but you had conversations. What are you shooting? What are you doing that? How did you get that? And and uh, you know, I mean, sometimes it's standoffish, you know, because the. The guy, you know, the guy that just took your job, yeah, is looking at the film from the job that you're not shooting. Yeah, photographers always been like that. Like it's competitive, and people don't. Some people don't want to share info, which I get it. Like it's it's funny, but it it, it I don't it's, know. It's but it's a it's funny because when I started doing the illustration thing, and I was reaching out to people, like it's it's a much friendlier place. Like reaching out to different illustrators or like illustrators, agents, yeah. Um, art director like anybody deal like it was funny like i would send out emails to like uh agents yeah just thinking like whatever i'm just throwing my work out there maybe i get lucky and i would get like an email back and say you know from some you know from from somebody in new york and they say give me a call i'd be like oh my god he's gonna hire me i talked to him he's like you know i said are we talking about like maybe possibly representation he's like no no (laughs) he says you're not even close he said but i just thought you know maybe i could give you some advice to help you on your way i'm like this doesn't happen in the photography world. Why, why do you think that is? You think it's because there's like less illustrators maybe, or I don't know? Oh, there's more. No, yeah. Because like, with photography, like if you're in Boston, yeah. you know, you're competing with 30 or 40 other photographers. Yeah. When you're an illustrator, you're competing with the world. Oh, yeah. Because you don't have to be there. Yeah, you can you can be doing illustrations for in Dubai or whatever. That, right. Yeah, like, Boston Magazine doesn't have to call a Boston photographer. They just they call someone yeah, in, I in London. Yeah, I didn't even think. Yeah, the location doesn't matter. Yeah, so it's uh, um, it, it's just a more welcoming place. But I've been told that. I, I have uh, my, my best friend you know, works at, um, he's, he teaches, he's a chair at Mass Art, but he went to Mass Art and he would always, and he was a photographer. But he became a sculptor. And he would always tell me, he's like, Dana, he's like, you know, I'm telling that. He said, 
the photography department, and you know I love photography, but it's just, photography is just cutthroat. Mm-hmm. It's not like any other department in the school. And I was like, yeah, you know, stop, stop shitting on photography just because you love sculpture. Now, you know, I was giving them a hard time about it. Yeah. But I've, but it's, I, I learned at least through illustration that people are much more welcoming. People are much more willing to give advice, share, uh, get together, meet, talk about stuff, offer jobs, you know, like their crumbs. Yeah. You know, recommend you to somebody who's like, I can't do this job, but why don't you call him? And, and I'm like, this is just not the world I grew up in. Yeah, it's weird. Like, uh, I mean, I definitely have friends who I get, I get referrals and stuff for jobs. It happens, but yeah, people are territorial, and because uh, I mean, there's not that many jobs out there, so it's tough. But I think I've always looked at it like you can either like be on offense and like you know share information, help people, or you can be on defense and be like hold everything. For me, I think you better be on offense because it's like some people might you might get burned burned sometimes or whatever. People might take advantage of you, but in the grand scheme of things, if you're like you're a nice person. You help people out. Like, hopefully that this, like... It, it, that's how it should work. Yeah. It should work. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with you. I, I just think, I always thought it was funny, especially because I'm not a tech guy. Yeah. So everybody's always, like, worried about sharing their tech secrets. And I look at myself, and I'm thinking, dude, if you can pick up anything from what I'm doing, you're welcome to it. Because <laughs> <laughs> really... You're selling yourself short, Daniel, man. You got... <laughs> no, because I guess my point is, um, you know, because I used to have, like, students, uh, like, workshops. Yeah. And they would want to take the workshop. And the first thing they would always ask when they were signing up is, like, are you going to teach us how to light like you? Yeah. And I'd say, sure. As, and, you know, we do that. I, 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 we do the class, and we finish the class. And I'm like, and there you have it. And they say, like, that's, that's, that's it? And I say that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple other things, like small things, but that's about it. And they'd say, but uh, that, that's the whole thing. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's it. And 95% of the time, that's what I do. And it's like, so I, so what I just learned, I can pretty much go out and do, and you're telling me that I'm going to light like you. I'm like, yeah, I mean, practice it for 25 years, and yes, you can, you know, you do, you, you shoot just like me. And, and because, I mean, yeah. The point is like, what what makes our photographs sing is not the light; it's it's the whatever happens between that relationship exactly and the subject. That's what I was gonna say because the way your personality is is different than mine, and how this right. person's gonna be, and like maybe you can get them to do something I can't, and it's just gonna be yeah. It's it, it's that dance, that one hour dance that you do. The lighting, everybody can light. Like I said, everybody's a better lighter than me, so I don't even really consider that. And it's just going to be whatever happens in that really whatever I can has however deep we can dig, whatever something I can reveal, whatever you give me as the subject, that's the picture. And I can't teach you that. No, we can talk about it. We can talk about our you know our opening lines or whatever it is we're going to talk about. But you know whatever you steal from me from lighting, go and, ahead. And it goes back to. Like we were saying before, like a lot of it, you just have to go through it. Like it's years and years of like, obviously learning technical stuff, but then it's like your confidence and the way you interact with people, at least like I was saying before, is like, it took me a long time and I'm still trying to get better at it. And that's, that's just, that's so much part of the process that like, I think people forget, you know? Well, I think it is, it is like, that's it. Like I, I always think of like the lighting is like, it's like, you know, Good looks will get you the date. Yeah. But if you want like if you want to go for the long term, if you want to you know spend a lifetime together, it's gonna it's a whole lot deeper than, you know, 
yeah <laughs> someone good looking so it's it's the lighting is just yeah maybe it gets me the job I, I did did you do, did you do photo assisting at all when you started out or not at all I never assisted see the guy one regret yeah I did it for like almost 10 years and uh the one thing I, I learned from getting to work with so many different people from the local guys to guys who were flying in from out of town to do shoots here is that the guys that were like almost always the most successful are the ones who were like were confident and like had a presence and it was like I don't even know if you can learn that but that's just like I just noticed it like they were just like very good at like talking to people and directing and like I don't know it, it was interesting yeah I mean it, it's definitely you know and that's why it takes so long yeah because the lightning you can learn in a, a workshop. Week. Yeah, in a workshop. You in a be... workshop and a week, you know, watch a YouTube, whatever it is you want to learn. You can learn that like nothing. Yeah. But that that experience of understanding who you're talking to and how to talk and you know, and that's where it gets so complicated because even if you're good talking with people, mm -hmm. you know, if if you're like me, you can get your foot in your mouth pretty easily. <laughs> so you have to also like have that recognition of where you are and who you're talking to and what the mood is and where it's going yeah and not say the wrong thing yeah because i can talk forever but that can that, that can really turn things south pretty yeah, very I, quickly i've definitely done that <laughs> and recognize you know and that's why i think like the best photographers like you realize it's not their lighting nah. you know it's, it's them it's, it's it's them and you know when you sit there I, I rarely sit there and say how did she light that but I always sit there and say, how the hell did she get him to do that? Is there like one photographer you look at and you look at their work and you're like, damn, like for me, it's Chris Buck. Like when I look at Chris Buck's Chris work Buck. and like, I luckily I've had the chance to interview him and he's like, I'll never be able to do what he does. Cause it's like, cause his pictures aren't very like technical. It's like, what, how the fuck did he get this person to do this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Are there photographers, like, when you look at some of your, who are some of your favorite photographers or? I mean, I've always loved, I mean, you know, the, 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 the usual suspects, you know, my, when I started out, Mary Ellen Mark, yeah. Avedon, um, you know, Salgado, like those people. But, you know, now, like, I think what I look at, like, what, what always amazes me, like, I, I really love, like, Brian Pfluger. Yeah. You know, and, and what I love about his work is that, like, it's it's like it's always different. I mean, it's always deep. Like, he always there's always something. Like, there's always a connection it's, it's, there. It's very sincere. It's sincere, and, and, he's, and he's trying everything. He's the kid yeah. who acts like, you know, who appears as though he knows nothing. Yeah. Because I'll look at this and say, like, you know, I'll look at this portrait and say, oh, my God, this is beautiful, and I love this, like... And by the way, like, when did it ever strike him to say, can you lay down there in that grass and sprawl? <laughs> and then I'll lay down with you and make that point. Like, I'm like, what? How did that even pop into his hand in his hour? Yeah. And, his, and you know, it's just like, a, you look at, I look at his work, it's like everything is different. And it always has that integrity. And you always feel like they're sharing something really important. It never feels frivolous. It never feels canned. It's, it never feels like he's making the same picture. It's his life. Like his work, you, it, it, like he, it, so much of himself is in his pictures. It's like, yeah, and the picture is just sort of a result of the of that experience with that person. And so, yeah, I, he's the guy that I sit there and say, I, I can't even begin. I'll never get there. Yeah. But I, I still love, you know, look at it with that in, kind of as inspiration of, Dude, man, look at what he's doing. He's trying everything. Yeah, yeah. He's he, still making it happen. He's incredible. And uh, I was interested in getting your opinion because you came up pre-social media. 
and yep. now social media is such a thing. Like, what's your take on it? Do you, do you enjoy it? Because I know, I mean, that's how we kind of connect in social media and stuff. And like, and yeah, it's it's such a vile place, yeah. right? I mean, it's necessary. I mean, social media did hurt me because I was I used to be really good at promotion. Yeah, um, I used to make my own promotional pieces, and I would make these elaborate, elaborate but cheap, like mm. my lighting. You know, I would. Um, you know, people always say like, you know, they send out those postcards, right? Those, you know, five images and flip it over and there's another image and whatever that you'd have. And, and, and I say like, well, I don't have $8,000 mm-hmm. to make 2000 of these things to send them out. Yeah. So I'd make them at home and I would always look at my pictures and say, well, my pictures look like snapshots, at least where I was at the time. So I'd print on fiber paper, you know, like whatever, six images on an eight by 10. I'd cut them with these craft scissors, you know, like scrapbooking yeah, yeah, scissors. Yeah, yeah. And then I would sit there and, you know, I'd grab a beer and I would just like kind of bend and tear them and rip them. I'd rubber stamp them with my number. And then I'd put them in an envelope and I'd put more rubber stamps on them. And I would send them to New York, to the biggest editors. Wow. And they loved them. I actually had some people send them, ask me if they could send them back because they thought I was sending them like real family photo oh wow that's incredible <laughs> they're like i just i don't i feel really nervous keeping these i just want to send them i don't want to lose them i'm like it's for you to yeah, lose yeah, well, yeah. and when i go to new york i'd sit in their offices you know and we'd be showing the portfolio and i'd see my little snapshots mm-hmm. up on the computer or up on the wall so i was really good at those cheap but cool promotional pieces and then when like social media came, that changed all the stuff. And like now the social media, like nobody opens their pieces anymore. Yeah, and now it's even become so much harder after COVID. Cause I used to get work just hustling. Like I'd go down to New York, I'd drive down there, meet with people, and then drive back in the yeah. same day. I'd used to do that because like it worked. Yep. But now it's like, and a lot of people aren't in their office. Some companies don't let you come in. Some people are only there like two days a week, so they're not even really doing meetings. It's like it's become way harder it's uh because right, i used to but and that used to be part of the game yeah. like that cat and mouse game yeah you go into new york and it was always that like they didn't want you calling them yeah but you can if you can get their number and yeah. you know who you're asking for and you can catch them on and you know i used to be like i would go downstairs i'd be outside of the time life building yeah and i would like i would be on in a phone in a phone book yeah and i call up somebody and they'd say like you know it's like yeah well then when i'm dana smith from bus i sent you the promotional piece that was gonna be in new york today like, you know, yeah i'm down the street you got a minute <laughs> why wouldn't you tell them that they say oh you know what i'd love to see it dana but uh i only got like five minutes and you'd have to like now i'd say that's okay i'm downstairs i'll be right up <laughs> yeah, and but that was like that credibility the hustle yeah. dudes would be sitting there saying like look if you made your way into my office then you're somebody that i can use yeah that was like kind of like one of those and you know, and and that cat and mouse game. You caught me, son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. But but then they'd look at your work and say, but you know what? I like this work. I can use this. I'll give you a call. And uh, but like you said, then they started pushing you out to like dro- it was just drop your portfolio at the, that, at the you know in the loading bay yeah, yeah. and pick it up at ten o'clock tomorrow. And you never saw anybody. Yeah. And then they didn't even let you in there. It was just like, look, I I, I get your website. If I want to see your work, I'll I'll, I'll look you up. Yeah. And. Uh, and and that hurt me because so many people didn't do what you just said you were doing. They didn't make the trip to New York. They didn't knock on the office doors. Yeah. And so that eliminated a whole lot of people right there. Yeah, it's like it it worked. I mean, like, yeah, I, the trick I would do, I would just email people and be like, yo, I'm going to be in New York on Tuesday. Like, you got time. And 
in reality, like, I wasn't really going to be in New York. Only if someone responded, then I was going to go to New York because I got him in. Yeah, yeah. But even then, you couldn't because mostly did nobody responded. Yeah. So you kind of had to go down and just say, look, I'm here. Maybe you get one or two. Yep. And with Black Star was good for me because at least I had to play. I didn't have to sit on the street because yep. I did that for a while, too. I would go to the whatever the local cafeteria on the corner and I would just eat all day so I would have a base yeah. and I would make calls until somebody would say I'll see you at four and then I would run down the street so yeah yeah the social media I mean I, you know we all suffer it the same way I mean because you can't really do it differently like my promo pieces would get me dropped mm-hmm. you know when I when I, I did work for the New York Times magazine I remember when I caught Kathy Ryan on the phone and you can tell she is, I'm not the call she was waiting for. Yeah. And then, you know, I went through my whole spiel. She goes, well, the snapshot guy. <laughs> yes, yes, that's me. <laughs> and she saw me because I was a snapshot guy. She gave me work as a snapshot guy. But now we're all dealing with the same grid. We're all dealing with the same format. So you can't stand out. You can't do anything different. You can't be too cute. For me, the thing I hate about it is uh, it's just made... Uh, I don't think it's like healthy to know what everyone's up to all the time. It, it's like, I'm like, uh, it's just, at least for me, like the, it's just not good for my head. Like, so it's, so it is look, I like the imagery, but at a certain point, I kind of just need to like be on my own and like think about my, whatever I'm working on, where it's like, hey. you go on Instagram, you're like, oh, so-and-so shot this and so-and-so shot this. And you can like start to be like, what should I be doing? Like, why, why am I getting the, and it's just like, un, it's like unhealthy. It's stupid that like your brain works like that, but it's just like, for me, like I've just been trying to like avoid it more lately. No, it's true because and and because all we're doing when we look at that is usually we're sitting there not working. Yeah, looking at somebody's pictures of when they they were working. Yeah, and so it's not healthy. And you know they're bragging, of course, but about the, who the, they worked for. And the reality of it is like, yeah, they did a great job, but they probably it could have been their only job for the month. So it's just exactly. like, it's like you don't even know, but your brain you start to think it's it's. It's a fake story you're constructing your head. Right. It's just like Facebook, right? Everybody's living a better life than we are. Everybody's working for great clients that yeah. we're not. And, yeah. And yeah, it's 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 very toxic. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's frustrating. And you know, the thing about social media too. I had a colleague when I was teaching, and he wasn't. Uh, he, you know, he was a documentary photographer, and you know, we would talk about these projects and he would, you know, like that, I would post something on Instagram and he would say, you know, I saw that picture. He's like, you know, we should talk about that. And, you know, we talk about the fact that he said, you know, I really think that that project needs more time to marinate. Yeah. And he was right. Cause like when we used to do projects, right? We'd shoot, shoot, we shoot for six months. We shoot for nine months. You, you do your baseball stuff. You shoot for years. Yeah. Yeah. And you put it up on the wall and you look at your stuff and you know, you, it, it's marinating and you're pulling stuff down, you're putting stuff up, you're going out shooting new and you're trying all this stuff. And then after you're done with it, you put it together and you have a solid body of work. You've thought about it, you've edited it, you've, everything is perfect and you show that work. With social media, like now, now, now. Tomorrow, you gotta feed the engine. You gotta like. Right, the, the, I can't. I, 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 I can't let it marinate. Yeah. I gotta cook it now. I gotta put it up there now. It's like it's Friday. People are giving out jobs on Friday. I mean, it's a fun Friday. It's just something Friday morning, man. It's like I can't wait the weekend. Does it marinate my ass? It's like, and and you know you're putting up subpar work, or at least not up to the, your quality standard. But you need to get your name out there. So you know, I'm still here. I'm here. I'm here. And something like somebody's gonna act, and you know, and the and the biggest like the biggest thing that we that we fool ourselves with is that some editors gonna look and say, "Wow, I was about to go home for the weekend, but Dana Smith just posted this incredible." 
picture that he made of this guy. Perhaps I will give him an assignment today before I go home because he's so great. Yeah. And it's like, it's bullshit. You just put it up there. And then as soon as you put it up there, you're like, why did I put that up there? I hate that picture. Yeah. He's got to be patient. It's hard, though. It's hard, though. You know? Yeah. And I still like, I've still yet to have anybody say, I saw your work on Instagram and I hired you because of that. I think about it all the time. I'm like, if I just got rid of it, like, would my bottom line be affected that much? I wonder. Like, I don't know. I, it, it's hard to tell. Yeah. The only thing that's been good for me is I think that, um, like, when, when someone does hire me, they have reference points. Yeah. You know, so somebody will give me a job and they'll say, I like to do something like, remember those track those track runners you were making with the, like, kind of a Holga Diana thing? Go, you know, whatever it was. Like, it's like, oh, okay, you've been looking at my Instagram. And that's helpful, or they'll just go and say, like, I saw a picture you made last week, and it's like, you know, we can talk about that. But they've yet, I've yet to have anybody say to me, you have a great Instagram, I, uh, and that's how we found you. It just never works out. Though. Yeah, it's one of those things. I did, honestly, I did get a job earlier this year. Some editor was looking for, they put on their story, like, hey, I need a photographer in Boston this weekend. I responded quick enough. Everybody, I got, I got an assignment. I got it. Like everybody's what, hitting the button. I, yeah, I got it. <laughs> no, it's like fucking. It was like it's like a Jeopardy, man. We don't. That's what it was like. Yeah. It was like a slap machine. Like, hit, hit. <laughs> I got the job. Oh my oh, no. god. I know. Uh, it's funny. Uh, this, this, I mean, it's great to get the job. It's just always funny when I'm realizing like I got the job because I was faster than the other. Yeah, guys. They're just trying to fill a spot, and you're good enough. Right. You're like, you can go take a picture or whatever the broke. <laughs> Whatever it was, whatever. Oh, um, how, a couple more questions. I'll let you yeah. go. Uh, how how do you end up working, uh, becoming uh, working at Nisop and teaching? How'd that come about? Well, I mean, I went there. Uh, you know, I was a student there, um, and I would always stop in, see my old teachers. Mm -hmm. And as I started becoming more successful in photography, um, yeah, they would always call me in. And it was like, you know, hey, can you come and talk to my class? You know, show your work, show your sunrise house stuff, show your boxing stuff. Um, so I was like, yeah, you know, I would always go in there and and uh, and talk to students. But I remember when I decided, you know, and and my my one of my former teachers, who was the uh, dean of students, she would always say, "Why don't you? When are you gonna start teaching here?" I'm like, "I don't want to teach." Mm -hmm. I mean, when I'm like old, like really old, and I can't lift the camera bag anymore, it's like that, that, teaching probably be good. I don't want to teach. I can't take a day off. Yeah, yeah. In, in the editorial world, and. Uh, so she would always ask me, but I remember standing out in the hallway one day, and I was looking at the pictures on the wall from first-year students, black and white, some fiber, and I was looking at the picture, and I'm saying, oh, my God, this is awful. Look how bad these kids are. And look at this guy shooting right into the sun. It's all faded and everything. It's like, this is garbage. And I kept looking at that picture. I wish I could have, I wish I remember that, where I could find that picture, but I was like, I asked myself, I said, hey, Dana, at what point did somebody tell you that you are not allowed to shoot into the sun? Yeah. Because I'm looking at this picture saying, that's what summer feels like to me. Yeah. It's that hazy, you know, bleached out feeling. And I thought, you know, these kids have the ideas of kids. Yeah. I'm too old to be, I can't be 20 again, but I can steal from these kids. They <laughs> 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 good ideas. And so... I, so I, I took her up on it. I said, I'll try it out. And I remember the first day, it was always, my, any of my students would tell you, I said, my first day, they said, so why are you teaching? Why, why are you, when did you become a teacher? You love teaching? I'm like, no, I don't love teaching. Um, I said, teaching to me is like, it's like exercise. It's like, I never want to do it, but I know it's really good for me. Okay. Um, I said, but I said, really? I said, I'm here to steal your good ideas. <laughs> 
And they'd be like, yeah, funny. I'm like, yeah, you laugh. I said, I said, I can't. I said, you think like 20 year olds. You guys know nothing, but you have all the energy and you, you try everything. And I'm old now and I have old habits and I have, yeah, and I have tendencies and I have all this. I said, so I get inspired by you. I put it into my work. I said, the difference is, I said, that people are actually hiring me and paying me to do this stuff. So if you see something in a magazine that has my name on it, but it seems familiar, it's probably because it's your idea. Yeah. And you look at it and be like, dude, that's not cool. <laughs> and I'd say, uh, I said, yeah, but I said, you know, I would say the, the, the trade-off is that I promise I will not leave any ingredients out. I Everyone's stealing from everything. somebody, you know. Everybody's stealing from somebody. It's this inspiration. I like probably it. stole too much, but, uh, you know, so that's how it started. And I, I just... Um, it, it it certainly it, it was exhausting as hell. I never knew if I knew how exhausting it was going to be, how hard it would be to teach. I would have never done it. Yeah, because it balanced that and still shooting like that's crazy. Well, not even that. Just like the the energy it takes to teach and and it's constant. The questions are constant, and you're and the thing is like with me is that I I'm not good at preparation. Mm -hmm. So you know you can't just go in and tell a couple of stories and teach a couple of tricks. And so these questions keep coming. You have to explain things. And at the end of the day, I'd be like, oh, my God, I know this stuff. And so it was so good for me and my work and my process. And, you know, and hopefully it was good, you know, it, my students will feel it. It was an amazing place. I uh, I used to rent darkroom space there when I was in high school. Yeah. You could, like, run by yep. the hour or whatever it was. And I took I took one lighting class. Maybe you know him. It was this teacher. He, he, he taught, like, a lighting class, like, speed light. Is tall dude who used to do like Civil War reenactments. He was like a teacher there for what was his? I I've been trying, <laughs> Steve Ostrowski. Yes, I've been trying for years to figure out remember because this was like twenty five years ago. I took this test, but the the Nisop was such an amazing place because it was a, s a small school and it was like a really because it wasn't like a huge like uh, student base. So it was probably how many people were like in your class? Yeah, I mean, we, well, in in the good days, graduating classes were like sixty. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was when things were good, 60 or 70 so it was people. Tight. It was tight. And you had two classes your first year and second year. So it was it was tight. It was very... And, and the thing about NISOP was that, you know, as a trade school, is that you had people who were doing it. Mm -hmm. Like you weren't... It, you weren't... They, it, teachers Dan weren't book smart. Yeah. They were life smart. Yeah. And, you know, there's amazing photographers. Went there. Danny Clinch went there. Danny Clinch was a year in front of me. He was... We used to sit... I used to watch Danny Clinch... He would shoot down at the down in the um, he'd go all the clubs like the Four Point Channel and and he would come in first thing in the morning and he'd be doing film from the night before mm -hmm. and he'd be pull he'd be pulling you know, look at his negatives you got Tina Turner and he's shooting bands you know like every band you could and you know the thing I love about Danny Clay I mean, he's a great guy but he was the guy who knew what he wanted to do music. From the beginning, yep. and that's all he did, and he's, like, the best at it. Yeah. He's... Like, he, there was never a question, I want to shoot rock and roll. Yeah. And now he's, like, a rock star. Prolific. Yeah. It's... And and it's, you know, and, and he's as humble as can be, and he just loves it. And so, yeah, Danny was right in front of me in uh, uh, up. Yeah, I had a couple of uh, Jeremy and Claire Weiss. Jer Jeremy was my first student. Wow, that's amazing. My first, my first class I came in. And uh, and Jeremy was in that class, and it, it's funny. Um, I'm pretty sure I, I told him this, but I might not have. But I remember, you know, Jeremy would shoot, and he would shoot all his friends. They were all skateboarders. Yep. And every assignment, no matter what I did, he came in with his friends, and 
halfway through the year, I did that teacher thing. I, 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 you know, I pulled that stern look and I did my waggy finger and I said, you know, Jeremy, you're never going to make it in this business just like shooting your friends. You better <laughs> expand. And about two years later, I see like this ad for like Citibank. And it's Jeremy's friends like doing a piggyback on the Boston streets. And it's like his name is under it. And he basically uh, made a career. Oh, great. Started they had career, a great career. His friends, <laughs> and then he started, and then his friends began. It was so funny. I just remember that like, you you know, you smug bastard wagging your finger. You'll never make a career out of this, mister. <laughs> like, I, get, I guess he did all right. Yeah, there's, so, there's, Jeremy, there's a lane for everyone. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that's probably one of the cool parts about teaching is the all the talented people that came through while you're teaching it. it it is you know and i see like there's there's somebody now um you know there's there's students i look at and uh it's always so great to sit chelsea kyle i don't know if you know chelsea oh. she's she's doing food stuff and she was in my class i think she walked out of my class i think she quit my class <laughs> <laughs> if you ever talk to her you'll have to ask her but she's like killing it with food for you know like That's she's amazing. shooting food and um you know, there's just like Heather McGrath. I oh, you talked to no, you talked to McGrath. Heather is one of the most talented people I know. McGrath was in my, you know, and it's, you know, and, and like it's cliche, but it's like, you know, they feel like they're my kids. Mm -hmm. Like I knew them when they knew nothing. Yeah. You know, and 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 it's so great when McGrath when I see them post things on Instagram, I see their ads, and I'm just like, holy shit, you know, it's like they're killing it out there. <laughs> yeah. Good for them. So it's it's fun, you know. That's awesome, man. I guess to wrap up, man, like what's kind of got you excited these days obviously you're doing the illustration but what kind of what kind of keeps you going pursuing this creative path because it's uh i yeah i mean i i love the illustration I, I still love photography um people won't give me both <laughs> it's kind of like one or the other yeah i might my, my the dream was that they would that they would have me shoot an assignment and then i would do the illustration after it that's happened but not very much um I think the thing that's got me most excited is, you know, when you do something for so long, you figure that's it. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. That's who I'll be. That's all. if I'm remembered, that's what I'll be remembered for. And then when you can kind of flip the switch and do something new, it was so exciting. And I thought, I don't know, man. What am I? I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm doing something totally different in ten years. That that's what got me so excited to see what you're doing, man. Yeah. It's because so many people are like, I hear people like in my he's like in their thirties are like. You know, I'm too old. I can't do that now. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, yeah. dude? Like, as long as you're alive, man, like, you can do whatever. I've said this a million times in the podcast. My grandmother was, like, in her late 50s, and she wanted to be a nurse. Like, she raised, like, five kids, and she her dream was to be a nurse. And she went back to nursing school in her late 50s and then worked for another, like, 15 years oh as, as a nurse. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it is. And, you know, and the, the, you know, the thing about it, like, with my switchover is that I didn't have to learn a lot of new stuff. Yeah. Like with like, like business is similar. Like, well, and even like editorial, like yeah. I mean, it's like it's editorial illustration, editorial photography are basically the same thing. You're just using a different tool, mm -hmm. and you know every everything that I knew that I know about illustration is because I learn. I, I'm using photography muscles. Mm -hmm. Everything I learned there, every so the only thing I had to learn was a little more Photoshop. Yep, and. So I, I didn't, it, it's not like an old dog new trick, it, it, but it's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. But just the idea that, you know, that you don't, you, you know, you can start something new. And that there's something that I might not have ever considered or haven't been considering might be the thing that I'm doing 10 years from now. You know, 
That's pretty exciting because as artists, like we know, we can't afford to retire. Nah. So, you know, we're going to drop dead doing whatever we do. So, you know, while my friends are retiring now and talking about, you know, like golf trips, I'm like, dude, man, it's like, I hope that like when I'm 80, I'm still waking up and trying to figure out these damn speed lights. Yeah, man. I owe the phone keys ringing, man. I think about that all the time. Like, I still, I don't know what I would do with my, my days, you know? So we're always waiting for that next assignment to see what what it's gonna be, uh, right? And it's and and they're never the same. And I, I just it it is it's exciting. And I I, I still I I still amaze. Like I, I still kind of shake my head and think I can't believe I've been able to pull this off for so long. I feel like that too. Like <laughs> right, like it's like everybody people have important jobs and do important things. I'm sitting there it's like, how the hell have I gotten through where people actually pay me to do, you know? what i do for free yeah well dana man i'm glad we finally connected and met in person dude. same here and uh yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to do this same here and you know what i i gotta say i i've i've followed you i've listened to a lot of your podcasts i think you know to me i think that that's it, it's it was always so impressive to me because it's so like you can tell how genuine you are and how much you love photography yeah, and how man. much you respect it and when you talk to people i always thought at first, I thought this dude's got it, man. He's talking to all these people, and they're giving him all this free advice, and then he's just like cashing in. That's really, man. It's really selfishly. It's selfishly for myself, man. Dealing all your good ideas. And exactly, man. I, I think when you listen, I think you know every time I listen to him, I says like, shit, man. He's just still in awe of all these people, and he really is. Yeah. You know, you really, uh, you know, you have when you have that kind of love and that kind of passion. And it, and it helps the rest of us out too because I sit there and I listen to people and like you know holy shit yeah, yeah that's great advice that's why I realize so, man you just got to reach out to people I appreciate you having me on all right take care Dan all right so there you have it that was the Dana Smith interview uh, just want to thank Dana so much for taking the time to come on the podcast it was a pleasure finally getting a chance to speak with him and kind of hear about his journey with photography and also all the exciting stuff he's doing with illustration um, so can't thank him enough. Definitely go check out Dana's website at danasmithphotography.com, as well as you can follow him on Instagram at danasmith17. I'll put all the links in the description. And also, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, with this podcast episode, if you go to pickdrop.com and enter the promo code BANTER when you sign up, you'll get two free months of pickdrop.com. Um, like I said, it's an image transfer tool I've been using for three years every day. Um, vouch for it myself um, can't can't recommend it enough um, so definitely go check them out at pickdrop.com enter the promo code banter when you sign up and you'll get two free months of uh, pickdrop um, so thanks as always for listening um, i got some more episodes coming i've been recording um, so stay tuned for those and thanks so much